Welcome back. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you for joining us once again. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Veracity Networks, and my good friend, Drew Peterson. Thank you so much for believing in me. I also want to thank Paul Cardall. He's allowing me and he's given me permission to use his music, that beautiful music you're listening to right now. That's from Paul Cardall. He's a, you know, he's got 25 million active listeners every month. He's one of the most amazing men you'll ever meet. And he was kind enough to let us use his music for the beginning and the end of this podcast. Um, I am so excited for you guys today. We have an amazing person on today. His name's Danny Deaton. Thank you for joining us, Danny. Very, very excited to be here. Yeah. And that music is amazing. So, Paul, good job. Kudos yeah. to you. Yeah. It really does bring a feeling to this place. And I really um, try to do that on purpose. And so, Paul, thank you for, for doing that. Um, let me give you a little background on Danny. Um, he is first and foremost a husband and father to three energetic children. He's also a certified interventionist and an and the owner of Living Proof Recovery Services, which we're going to learn more about here. And as as a 13-year recovering addict, Danny uses his expertise and knowledge to assist families and individuals plan and support a complete path to recovery. And he's going to talk about that. His passion is helping families have success where they have failed in the past. Um, Danny's very passionate about what he does for a living. He loves helping people. And I, I see that a lot with people who have made it through addiction and he really shouldn't be here. And uh, <clears throat> we are blessed to hear his story today. And I know this is going to inspire you. It's going to cause you to want to not only maybe help yourself, but y- you know someone who's struggling. And this story is going to make an, a difference. So we are just blessed to have Danny here today. So again, thanks for being here, Danny. I'm excited. <laughs> I I tend to think of myself as a simple man. And I know you've had a lot of incredible people on the show with high accolades and achievements. Um, So it's kind of humbling to be here, but at the same time, I'm just grateful and hopeful to share something that might help somebody out there. Absolutely. Well, why don't we start with, you know, just kind of getting to know you a little better. Tell us about where you grew up and kind of about your family situation and what it was like growing up. Yeah. Growing up was, was awesome. I look back and the only word I really have to associate to my childhood was was awesome i i loved life i was the oldest of four i grew up in sandy utah um close to the mountains and uh i spent a lot of my time there right yeah um i went to alta high school when i grew up but before that time when life gets a little more complicated as a young boy i just i played every sport i could as many we could fit in um i was active in in scouts um i was active on anything whether it was a four-wheeler or motorcycle or anything (laughs) i could get my hands on or any way to get in trouble i loved playing with my friends which was the only reason i liked school right Um, (laughs) but i truly loved every day and waking up every day um right to make the most of it yeah that's awesome you know so it sounds like overall you had a pretty good solid childhood i mean i know no childhood's perfect but at times it could probably feel like it was perfect right i yeah. would imagine you felt that way at times yeah and when i look back it, it it took a lot of self-reflection and some struggles in life to to dig through um what i thought and to kind of figure out what was hurting right. um and what was uncomfortable inside because as far as my childhood and, and the influences I had, it was my neighbors were amazing right. um, leaders, whether it was sports leaders, church leaders, everyone had a good impact in my life. Um, and it took some unfortunate situations I put myself in to learn the void I had and, and how I hurt inside. Um, but ultimately I look back and I tried to, I tried to self reflect for a long time and it took a, terrible experience in my life to bring light to that yeah but as a young man what was really hard for me was understanding what determined my worth Mm, interesting um that my worth was something that the the outside world determined Mm. so what i had what i made what i did and not who i was right and I fell victim at a young age to portraying to everyone else that I had a certain amount of things that I made a certain amount of money yeah. by what I wore, what I drove. Um, right. and it started with little lies 
And it was very innocent. And I think we all do that. We, sure. we want the girl in school to think oh, we're yeah. way cooler than we are, right? <laughs> Absolutely. We stand a little taller. We yeah. flex our muscles a little bit more. Yeah. Our, our mediocre job is a very important job to right. the world, you know? And so <laughs> right. that was the, one of the difficulties that started at a young age. And I had a a father who came from nothing and became one of the most successful, incredible people I've ever known. Yeah. Um, I watched that journey. Um, I had other relatives, people that I grew up around that had that same pattern. And these people, the influence they had in my life was a positive one. They were very loving and kind and caring despite my situation and who I was and everyone else around us. But right. Yeah. I felt like in order to be the man, I had to be like them. So the expectation at a young age was set very high. Yeah. And you, I think you mentioned something. This is common. I think a lot, most kids growing up, we go through this period in our life where we're not quite sure yeah. who we are mm-hmm. and we're trying to portray something else because it makes us feel better. Yep. And I think that's, you know, unfortunately, I think we all go through that and some worse than others. But, you know, so I think that's a pretty common thing. It is. And it's hard because all these feelings we have when we're young and we're navigating the world, we're not even sure what those feelings are, where they come from. And what happens is we begin to harbor secrets. So my mantra for life now, um, and it's what I live my life by, it's how I try to parent, how I try to be a husband, how I try to be a friend is... It is our secrets that keep us sick. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I I look at it and I think at the beginning, a lot of the secrets that we carry are very small. They're insignificant. And really the impact they have on our life start really small. Yeah, we justify them. Yeah. Like, oh, Rationalize. No you kind yeah. of work your way through them. And they aren't life-altering. But the longer we harbor those secrets, mm-hmm. the more they fester right. and turn into things that eventually change the course of or shape the course of our life. Right. Yeah. And I know we'll get more into that. And I would add to that, you know, we I talk a lot about with my clients that if they if they're honest with themselves, they'll never relapse. Yeah. And it goes along with basically what you're saying is the secrets are what keeps us sick. It keeps yep. us stuck. It keeps us not moving forward or it keeps us from changing, you know? So I'm glad you pointed that out. And for me, it started with little lies telling people I was cooler than I was or (laughs) had more than I did. And it, it eventually um, took me down a very dark path in life. And I always summarize, you know, when you going back to your question to kind of describe who I am and growing up, I was the Eagle Scout return. LDS missionary for the church of Jesus Christ. I was a college graduate. Um, I had played many sports in school. I had lots of friends. I was active in everything I did. I spent my summers in Lake Powell, my winters up at Snowbird ski resort. Right. And, um, eventually I became a, a a drug addict that was spent time behind bars. And, uh, that's a pretty polarizing difference. Um, for sure. Yeah. And getting from the point I was growing up to the point, um, where I was fighting for my life, I look back and I attribute all that to the secrets. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you point that out as well. And I really want to get into that because what you're basically pointing out too, is no one's immune from this. No one. I mean, it doesn't matter how great your childhood was. It doesn't matter if everything was just kind of laid out before you. I'm not saying that's what was for you, but it could be a perfect childhood, but you doesn't mean you can't, you can't become an addict on something or something tragic could happen and then lead you down a completely different path. Exactly. Right? And so I love talking about it now and that there's people like yourself, Todd, who talk about it. Um, because I think a lot of us is, in our childhood, we grew up in that era where we just didn't talk about things. Um, it could have been questions pertaining to sex or, um, the anatomy of, of a woman or a man or Mm -hmm. any curiosity, um, that we had in our mind, the society standard for a lot of us, you know, was, you just didn't talk about it. Right. And I think now talking about it, we all kind of understand that, like you said, no one's immune. 
um, being open about what I went through and the struggles that I experienced in life. I have yet to have an experience in the last few years where after sharing my story with someone, it wasn't an immediate hug with tear-filled eyes because it was either their sister or them right. or their father or their spouse. You know, it's not someone who's saying, oh, on my mom's side, three generations ago, I had an uncle who was an alcoholic. Right, right. It is <laughs> very close to home, yeah. if not in every single home. For sure. Everyone knows someone that's suffering. So I'm glad that people are starting to talk about it. Yeah, no, me too. And, and again, that's why I'm so grateful and, and excited for you to be on today. Because I, we were talking about this before we got on air here. I really believe that this story is going to save someone's life today. And I know that sounds kind of dramatic at times or, you know, but I really do believe that. And so why don't we, you know, tell us what happened. Let's just yeah. go back. Light, things are going well in your life. Everything seems to be going in the right direction. Take us from that point and then share share your story. Yeah, so us. the summary was in high school, as much as I loved life, I got into trouble too. I was the guy I went to the parties. I loved right. hanging out. My life was was unmanageable at the time and I was engaged in drinking and doing smoking marijuana and doing some doing drugs at the time. Mm -hmm. um, after high school, I actually moved to Hawaii with some friends. Long story short, we lived the life. We were there. Right, right. We were surfing. We were working at a jet ski company. Um, and I had a pretty sobering experience one night after thinking that I was living every guy's dream. I was living there with my three best friends. Right. They were girls coming in from all over the world. Mm -hmm. We were surfing and, and enjoying life. I remember laying on the beach one night on a boogie board, staring up at the moon. And I felt this incredibly empty feeling mm. as though that light from the moon was going right through me. And I just, I knew what it was. Um, it was based upon the beliefs and, and the morals and values I had growing up that I needed to do something more with my life. It wasn't all about being, partying and right, yeah. having a good time. <laughs> so long story short, I came home. I got my life in order. I took care of a lot of things I needed to change. Mm -hmm. And I went at the age of 22 and served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I went down to Brazil. I learned to speak Portuguese. Oh, wow. I got to know one of the most beautiful people and cultures in the world. Um, I came home. I got married. I graduated from the University of Utah um, at one point, thought maybe being an attorney was a good idea. So right. I graduated with communications degree, argumentation, decision-making, yeah. just started to live life, just started to yeah. do what we all do. Okay, we're going to get married. We're going to start a business. I'm going to you know, start putting my life together. Um, there were still some things, some underlying issues that were unsettled inside. I had had an injury or two snowboarding. Okay. Um, and for sake of time, I was introduced to Oxycontins through a friend. I had been prescribed pain pills here and there, and I was always the one, right? There's, yeah. In my mind, there's two types of people. And it, it doesn't have to do with just opioids, but yeah. there's the person who consumes a pill, yeah. and it, they don't like how they feel, and it makes them uncomfortable. Yeah, they don't or, like Yeah, that. they just want it to go away, and they want to feel in control again. Then there's people like me, the second that that pill swallowed before it even hits my stomach, the skies part, the heavens open, and angels are playing trumpets. Right. It is the yeah. feeling I've always been seeking. Sure. So when I was introduced to Oxycontins, and this is kind of back when the epidemic happened, when those were introduced to society, and we know the right. records that's happened from them. Right, yeah. This wasn't fun and games anymore. Um, I quickly became addicted. Um independent and truthfully what happened is this phase of my life became the functioning addict yeah but what i kind of learned to do as a small boy or a young boy came forward tenfold which was harboring secrets mm. so i was still very productive i actually was able to complete college while being addicted to oxycontins um when you say secrets, were you hiding this from everyone? Everyone. You were doing? Just yep. trying to pretend everything's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. I was still able to do my civil duties, my, my church duties, my 
interacting and keeping relationships intact. Um, and I did it for a while. I actually felt like I was a better version of myself, a person that was, I wasn't inhibited by things anymore. I was right. able to just feel the way I wanted. Um, when you talk about the snowball effect, I don't think there's really a lot of things in life that apply right. more directly than, yeah. than addictions, whether yeah. that be drugs or alcohol. Um, sure. my secrets not only kept me sick, but I became more and more ill because of them. And, um, quickly my life became unmanageable. I, I had a divorce. This small little insurance company I had barely started was, was gone. Um, all the material things I had started to vanish, um, became really resourceful at selling things I had or it escalated quickly. Um, and I think anybody who suffers from this or anyone who loves someone who suffers from this can see that pattern and how things can quickly escalate. Right. But yet we as humans have a really high tolerance for pain and suffering. <laughs> right. So we kind of settle down and we, you know, we find that groove that we get into. Well, just like I did in my addiction, so did my family and everyone around me that loved me or cared about me. Um, not knowing what to do, um, maybe a little bit of denial, um, a little bit of stigma kicks in. Yeah. Um, as soon as I got divorced and lost some of the things I had, my addiction quickly escalated into the next level. And so here I was a return missionary college graduate taking a little bit of Oxycontin once in a while. When I say a little bit, you take a pill and you break it in half, and then you break it into a quarter. Okay. And then you take that quarter and you break it again. That's how much it starts with. To the point where then you're consuming 10 to 15 to 20, 30, 40, 50 pills a day. Wow. Getting so sick that I remember if I ever ran across a bottle of, of Laura tabs that has 20 or 25 in there, you'd pop the top and you would down the whole thing, Jeez. chewing them up and taking whatever water or something around to swallow it just to take the edge off. So... Um, I became a rag doll to something that, uh, took me down a very dark path. At this point, does your family know what's going on or is it still your children trying to keep it from them? I mean, obviously they're noticing yeah, the, I mean, the downward spiral, but I, I wish I could use all <laughs> the adjectives. There was a gentleman named Dave on your show from the other side Academy and he had the perfect words to describe um, an addict or an alcoholic, but you become <laughs> very good at deceiving, manipulating, cheating, lying. Yeah. So everyone around me knew something was wrong. Something was off, but I think out of fear, they didn't know what to do. They didn't approach it. Right. Uh, maybe denial there. There's a million things that hold us back from taking that mighty step to stopping that insanity. So it just continued and it continued and it continued. And, um, unimaginable things happen when people see someone standing under the overpass of the freeway, holding a sign or sleeping on a sidewalk. They weren't born like that. Right. Things happened. Like several events took place for their life to become that terrible. Yeah. And so I look back and mine, the same things happened. I quickly developed an addiction that caused a need to, <laughs> to pay for it. Right, um, yeah. so what a lot of people do is you end up stealing, robbing or selling every single addict eventually does one of those. Yeah. Um, so I ended up surrounding myself and doing things with people and in places that I had never imagined doing in my life before. Um, and it got really bad to the point where my family started to isolate themselves from me. I wasn't really welcomed around there as much, even though I finagled my way back in at times a little bit when I needed something, but I was alone. Yeah. And I, one of the terms I love to live by nowadays is the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm. Love that. But the true nature of addiction is isolation and darkness. Mm. It always starts fun. And, and, 
breaking news to mom and dad now for what I do in a living is, <laughs> believe it or not, when it does, when this began, when your loved one or your spouse or your child first introduced, was first introduced to this, it felt amazing. Yeah. Their life is not to the point now because it, it was terrible from the beginning. Right, yeah. It started out because it was amazing. So yeah. here we are, and, and, and I am a rag doll now. Um, if you look at my entire life, as a drug addict, um, 90% of it was a functioning addict taking manageable amounts that escalated. And then the last 10% of it was, um, heroin, cocaine, meth, anything that I could get my hands on all of it. And actually what I preferred was all of it together at the same time. And I got to a place where I was using recklessly in a way that each and every day I was using the amounts of drugs to take any person's life. And not only did it get to that point because I needed it because you get sick and the withdrawals are so terrible, but in order to get past being sick and actually want to feel good because we all want to feel good. Right. The amounts were absolutely insane. Um, so that last 10% when things got really crazy, um, I lost my house. I had lost everything. Um, I was sleeping in a storage unit and wow. which is against the law, by the way, um, they came to the storage unit to repossess some things, um, of mine, like a motorcycle. So I got kicked out of the storage unit and was living in my car. Um, you think at any point that there were several in my life, but you think at some of these points, and if you love someone, you've seen them where, how can they not see it? You ask yourself, how do they not see what is happening right now? How is this not enough to wake them up and to be like, you need to change. You're going to die. Yeah. I just keep going. You just keep going. You just keep going, which is the power of addiction. Yeah. Um, so I got to the point real quick to summarize the story where things are terrible. Now they're bleak, they're dismal. And I'm living in my car. I have nothing left. I have nothing left to sell or pawn. I was too afraid to go and rob. So I essentially robbed for myself and everything I had. I'd sold and was gone. Um, we got really desperate and being sick one day. Um, I had a friend of mine. We decided we came up with this genius idea that we were going to call the drug dealers. And when they came, we were going to rob them of what they had. My oh, buddy wow. was pretty big and strong. Sure. He was just going to corner him with the car, put him in a headlock, whatever. I mean, the thoughts are insane, but at the time but it made perfect made sense. sense to you guys. Desperation kicks in. Get, yeah. <laughs> well, um, he's flying through a neighborhood. Um, I was so sick and shivering and, and dope sick. If anyone understands that term that I was, my seat was laid back and my feet were up on the dash and I was in a coat just shivering. I was so sick cause I was so dependent at this time yeah. addicted. Um, He's flying through the neighborhoods trying to get him, chase him down, and they're running. And he hits a parked car, a parked car in this neighborhood, probably going thirty or forty miles an hour. My feet hit the dash, um, mm. busted both of my ankles, um, and I ended up on the hood of the car, bouncing off the hood and then in the front of the street. Wow. Um, there were needles all over inside the car there was paraphernalia there was i mean it was something out of a horror film that's what it looked like yeah surprisingly we got back in left avoided ever getting in trouble driving home without a windshield on the car i mean can you imagine (laughs) right it was mind-boggling well we got back he took me home and put him put me in the basement of of this home of his and uh that is where I thought would be the end of my life. And there were several other things that had taken place. I had already been arrested a couple of times on little things and my life was pretty dismal. I weighed a hundred pounds or less soaking wet. Um, I hadn't eaten for many days. I don't know if I passed the threshold of how long you're able to go without water. Um, every vein that ran through my body had turned black Wow. and I was just preparing to die. Um, I was way too scared to take my own life or too afraid, but I knew that the time was near and, um, 
My friend had left. He went out to find drugs and was gone for quite some time. He was trying to get something to help me not be sick. It's a really sacred experience. And I actually have a little video that portrays this that I wish people could see and hopefully draw some strength from. But For sure. Um, I laid there and actually felt a spiritual separation from my body. And I remember not knowing if I was still alive or not. Um, mm. And I was actually sober, but I was so sick. I was so weak that I was hallucinating or something at the time. While I'm laying there waiting to die, I hadn't seen anyone in my life or anyone I love for quite some time. Um, that night, coincidentally, the night prior, mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't find this out till way after this event, but my father and my brother, who were in different homes at the time, had had a very similar dream, the same dream that they were speaking at my funeral. And Whoa. they both had the, yeah, my dad had been awake wow. all night telling my mom about this unsettling feeling. And he's, he's like, something's not right. And then the next morning when my brother was explaining to my dad, I had the worst night. I had this, you know, nightmare about Danny. They, they knew that was divine, divine, like inspiration. So they, they went on a, on a manhunt looking for me. And I guess they looked for quite some time. I don't know all the events of that day, but it was towards the end of the day. They were about giving up. And the the gentleman who I was in the car with, the one who took me into the basement yeah. of that home, they ran into him at a gas station and my brother saw him and knew him, chased him down, ran him down and said, you got to tell me where my brother is. Where's my brother? Yeah. And he was scared. He was fearful, you know, Sure, yeah. but they told him, so at some point in the day, I don't know if it was day or night. I remember laying on that floor and I, when I say laying there, I was laying there with my face, like melting on the floor, mm. drooling on myself, not being able to move. My legs are broken. I'm Yeah. You're busted up from that. Busted up. Yeah. And I am so, if a drug addict plays the movie all the way to the end, I was at the end, past the end. And, um, I remember looking laying there just laying on the floor looking up and for the first time in i don't know a few days i saw this line this light come across the floor as the door opened and it was very symbolic but it was very real also and then when that light opened i saw two people walk in this basement door and to my to my surprise it was my dad and my brother and it was crazy. It was, I looked up at him and the feeling that I felt the most was shame and, and just yeah. utter disgust. Oh, My father knelt down over the top of me. And this is of course, after a great deal of time of failing as a parent on what to do, but he knelt down perfectly over the top of me and, and just calmly said, we're here to help, but you have to want to do this. If you're not ready, I have made peace with God and we will leave. And he looked at me and waited and I stayed quiet. I was silent. Mm -hmm. So my father, who was my idol and my best friend stood up and walked away. My brother turns to me and looks at me starts in desperation please please just get up what are you doing what are you doing you're gonna die i couldn't say anything i couldn't even look him in the eye and so he turns and walks away and i remember that fleeting light as they walked away as the door was closing and i mustered up enough strength to just yell help Wow. my brother turned around picked me up i was i was so frail and so malnourished and Week, he just scooped me up off the floor like a child, put me in his arms, put me in my dad's car, took me home where my mom wrapped a quilt around me, gave me a kiss, and they took me up to the University of Utah to start my medical detox. And uh, it was uh, nothing short of divine intervention that day. You know, the thing that really, I mean, the whole thing's amazing to me, but the part that really made my heart sink is when they your dad and brother were leaving and the doors closing and the lights going away yeah and like almost like had you not said even help 
the door closes and they're probably thinking he doesn't want it, right? That's it. That that really got me when you said that. And and luckily, thankfully, you know, divine intervention, whatever you want to call it, you were able to say help. Yeah. Wow. And even at such a beautiful moment in my life, I look back, I mean, the biggest temptation and the strongest urge was for them just to leave, go away and, and to refuse that help. And, you know, it took lots of failed attempts as a family. And we've learned that throughout the years um, of them doing things wrong before they ultimately got to that place yeah. of we're done. And um, I, I think that's one of the most powerful pieces um, in our society. Now you look, you look at addiction and, and, and alcoholism, what it's doing to the world. Right. It's having an incredible, devastating impact. And I say this with all due respect, but there's no virus out there that is terrorizing. I've seen it firsthand. <laughs> Sorry. You're good. I have been in countless homes the last year or two. And families are being ripped apart by the same thing that almost ripped mine apart. And so we all, we all fail. Families fail. And it's not because they're not trying. They fail because of so many things that impede us from getting to that moment. Mine was a very, was a very like real graphic, vivid moment. Um, but all families that have someone suffering, they have, several of those For moments sure. where yeah we need to do something different right so that's wow. turned into the the goal and my mission in life is to help families overcome that biggest obstacle right wow what a story and, and thank you um and i know there's more to it so you go to detox yeah and that's not fun <laughs> yeah. i mean that's brutal 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 did you but I, i'm curious Going back, when you think, you know, you're at detox, what's your mindset at that point? Because obviously you're going to go through hell right Mm -hmm. there because you're going to detox. Yep. Are you thinking like, I still don't want to do this? Or are you thinking at this point, I've got to go through this or or I really am over? That's such a good question. I'd had so many moments. I mean, those little tiny moments of clarity, every person suffering from... Yeah. Um, addictions has those moments. I want to stop. I want to stop. I want to stop. I want to stop. If you had a dollar for every time you said that, right. It'd be amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah. but yes, you know, it's going to be terrible. I had turned over every stone and I knew there was no other choice. Right. It was either die or go through this. And I've stayed in contact with some people. Well, I did for a while that worked up there. Cause I think I set a record. I was in detox for about 17 days. Wow. That's how sick I was. Yeah. That tells you a lot because usually dictate how bad someone's been based on how long they end up having yeah. to stay at detox. And it was, uh, I, I actually left three times. They thought they had got me mm. to a place where I could go and socially detox at a treatment center. But three times I was returned cause my body was, was so sick and would go into complete, I would start to convulse and shake so hard that, Man. you know, it chipped my teeth. I remember I had a few teeth that chipped really? cause I would shake so hard from being so Jeez. sick. Wow. But yeah, I, I did that and it was terrible. The word you just would use was, it was, it was. And then I, I did inpatient residential treatment for about four months. Okay. At that point they'd kind of had enough of me probably. And so (laughs) I moved into a sober living house. I was waiting, awaiting a court date and, um, I went to court. Um, and again, painting that picture of who I was as a child, um, standing in front of a judge for, several different felony charges for possession in Utah, whether you have $2 worth of certain drug or not, they're felony possessions. Right. Yeah. Reckless endangerment, several other charges. Um, I got sentenced to a, a year in jail and this was after completing wow. a huge analysis at adult parole and probation. They assess your life. They look yeah. at it and see patterns of crim- like criminal behavior, how yeah. you grew up, how you raised, like, what are your, what's your probability of being a repeat criminal or right. was this a one bad time in your life? Yeah. The recommendation of the judge was just probation and some community service. 
but this was at a time when I think judges were in it were so tired of the amount of cases that they had that were drug related right. yeah. overdose deaths things like that that uh the judge chose something different and um so I spent several months in jail and then was released on an ankle monitor program called the cats program back then yeah and I went and did it completely separate rehabilitation center through the state with an ankle monitor picking up garbage on the side of the highway picking up cleaning up parks really? around the state wow. and um my entire rehabilitation process was close to two years man it's a long time the lessons and the things that i learned during that time were absolutely life-changing and beautiful yeah well usually one of the questions i ask and i'll ask it now is if you could go back and change anything, would you? That's a good question. I actually, <laughs> I actually get asked that a lot in some of these families I work with. I was like, well, I would have never had a long-term girlfriend and I would have eaten a lot more food. Back when my metabolism worked, I would have eaten yeah. a lot more food. That's a good point. But I wouldn't wish what I went through um, on my worst enemy but unfortunately I was stubborn enough that it took nothing short of that to, to produce concrete beliefs and understanding in my life of what it takes. Yeah. And other people similar to myself have to go through it. Other people don't, but for me it was critical to be who I am today. Yeah. So it was a huge setback in life. It was a big chapter in my life that was kind of wasted time. Um, I wasn't contributing much to life or doing anything beneficial for myself. But I think who I am today now was accelerated because of that. In that I would probably be half the person I am today still living with a lot of the little nuances right. that we do in life had I not sure. gone through that. Yeah. So no, to answer your question, I wouldn't change anything. Yeah, and I figured that's what you were going to say. You know, I really believe that, uh, you know, life happens for us. And I think despite how bad it is and, it, you know, and going through hell and back, it, you know, when we, if we can make it through the other side without dying or you have these opportunities to change that you look back and go, yeah, I, I wouldn't change it because yeah. I wouldn't be where I'm at. You know, what's interesting too is if, if someone met you right now, and they had no clue about you. They would never. They would never even dream of oh, this. <laughs> this guy. I actually saw your picture. I think it was a mugshot. Yeah. And you're like sixty pounds. I mean, you're like this shriveled up. I mean, it, it's pretty horrific. Lifeless. And the the contrast from your picture now to that, it's yeah. It blew my mind when I saw that. Yeah. If people are listening, and I on I have posted it on our social media pages yeah. of that contrast, but. Regardless of your beliefs, um, my my body was without spirit. It was spiritually, they say spiritually bankrupt and then they're spiritually dead. So that picture you're talking about is is when there's nothing there. Yeah. And you can see it. When yeah. you say it like that and you look at the picture, people go, oh, I get it. Yep, yeah. I see that. And it's, it's amazing how much of this is happening here. So it's been humbling. I... After I got clean and started putting my life back together, I was desperate to do whatever it took. And the journey from then till now has been miraculous. And right. we would be here forever talking about that. <laughs> but I did spend a decade um, owning and operating some restaurants. And I do laugh and joke that the only thing harder than overcoming a heroin and cocaine addiction is owning and operating some restaurants. So anyone out there who is, I love and admire you. Anyone who's thinking yeah. about it, make sure you're really thoughtful before you do that. But right. taught me a lot of lessons. And, and, you know, I went 10 years where six days a week, my alarm had a four on it, if not a three, Right. getting up to go work hard. And, um, wow. That was nice because it helped us gain um, what we needed in order for me to be a husband and a father to, yeah. you know, provide for my family monetarily. But a few years ago, I decided to switch gears and do what I'm passionate about and yeah. what I see a huge need for. I'm 43 years old and I know that my production as a working man is 
no longer my 20 where you seem like life you're going to live forever. I, I wanted to make an impact. And so I spent some time analyzing and assessing where I saw the biggest void or where I felt like I could have an impact. Yeah. And, um, there are plenty of places and plenty of people listening where we, we live in societies, despite all the challenges and fit, po- politics and everything that we, we have, sure. we are God fearing <laughs> yeah. family oriented people who want to do the best we can in life. Exactly. So I said, okay, that group of people, I understand what's the biggest impact that I can have help that group of people. Cause when you look at drug addiction, alcoholism, there's, there's the whole end of our, the homeless shelters and, right. and the challenges that people have in in the prisons. And then there's also this la la land where people are denying everything, anything ever exists. So my goal was to help families where they're failing. And that is yeah. families that are holding their own secret about their loved one who is dying from his secrets or mm. her secrets get out of their own way. We're blessed in a state here in Utah and there's several others like us, but here in Utah, there's 60 plus treatment centers open yeah. running with incredible people that want to help you change your life. Well, why are less than 10% of people with addictions ever getting to a treatment ever center there, ever? Right. Yeah. There's no day where someone like myself was going to wake up, go put on my Sunday best, ask my family if we could all get together for family dinner and proclaim to them, you guys, my life's unmanageable. I, I need some help. Do you guys think that you could help me get into a treatment center? What would that look like? How would we work that out uh, yeah. mathematically or financially? It will never happen. So families sit around thinking that they can pray this better. And if I had a dollar for every time I've seen this dynamic, I wouldn't need to work anymore, which is where mom thinks that her prayers and dad's lectures in the office are going to make this Right. come to a halt yeah. or change course, mm-hmm. it never will. Sending your loved one, your spouse or whoever, to see the bishop or the pastor or whoever it is that's your spiritual advisor is not the answer either. Right. There will come a time that person can help you more than anyone else. But we struggle so hard getting there. So there's this huge, there's this huge gap, right? There's people who desperately want to change something. And then there's all these places that can help. Right. Well, why are we not putting the two together? Two together. Yeah. That's a great point. So that's, that's kind of where I've spent a lot of my time is just going in and saying, Hey, you guys don't have anything to be scared of. You don't have anything to hide. You all know that I was about as ugly a person as you can be. (laughs) So let's be honest and real. So usually the first time I get to know people, we just get real into the point quick. And, If there's anything I've learned over the last few years is that incredibly successful, educated families all fall victim to the same things. Yeah. Blame, stigma, denial. I mean, you could go on and on, but no one actually changes. And for our family, it took me getting to that point, that desperate, dire point that we talked about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to. So once families learn what it takes to empower themselves to stop, and decide, hey, whatever, whatever we're not changing, we're choosing. So let's let's choose something else. Let's change. I love it. All I do is try to help them strategize, understand it, and then here's some resources. Here you go, and just push them in the back really hard, and hope that that's what it takes. So love that. Well, that sounds fantastic. And and again, I love that you said, hey, you've done you you you've researched everything. You're like, this is the missing piece that I'm noticing. Yep. And, and that's what's great that you're doing this. Yeah. You know, you, you know, you say I am living proof. What do you mean by that? So the company that I now do and, and, and on my Facebook and Instagram page is your living proof. So why are you are living proof? And it's really to give the spouse, the wife, the mother, the brother, the sister proof. Here is your proof that it can get as bad as it can get. There are several other people who got to a point that I did. Some maybe even a little bit worse, but you don't get much worse than that because you die. Yeah. It's to give them factual proof that it's possible. Right. 
that anything is possible, but it's going to take a mighty courage. It's going to take a unified effort as a family. So your living proof is here. You want it? You think it's impossible? You think you've tried everything? You think you've given up? No. Here's your living proof of a way out. Gotcha. I love that. That is beautiful. And so you're offering courses now and things like that. I mean, I yeah. know you're doing a lot of things, but, yeah. you know, courses. And I would imagine, do you do you meet with families like, you know, you and the family in the home kind of thing? Or is it always online? Or is it both? Or how both. do you do that? So also doing this, I've gotten really close to several families. And after the fact, I've gone back and I said, hey, tell me about the experience at first. Like, was yeah. it scary to reach out? Were you worried? They were always referred by somebody else. Right. Um, typically, it's their next door neighbor because <laughs> right. you don't have to go very far now to find I know. people suffering from this. But they would tell me, yeah, it was really scary. It's the last thing we want to do, right? We want to we plan dinners and dates with our spouses and friends. We want to go on vacations. We want to watch ball games. We don't want to face this terrible, nasty elephant in the room. So most of them, it took a lot. Most of the time, the first phone call I get is, after the mom and dad leave the hospital where their son or daughter's in a medical coma or something very drastic. They found them unconscious on the floor and thought they were dead. They were in a terrible car accident. They've now been arrested. That's usually the first time I get a phone call. So we created some online courses that are for the family and for those that love them just to understand what's going on. Yeah. But real tangible living proof examples and knowledge of how do we move forward? Right. Here's the problem. How do we approach our loved one? What are our options? Where do we go? How do we do it? And so they can watch those courses online from someone who's been through it. And it's, it's interesting because where I, I hope to help a lot of people is it being a very personal, relatable experience where they can be like, yeah, oh my gosh, that reminds me so much of my husband. That reminds right. me so much of my son or my daughter. Yeah. And it's not from a clinical standpoint where it might be harder for them to understand as much. I'm not here to help them understand the addicted brain and how it works. I'm here to understand them, help them understand why they're failing to get any change. Yeah. I love that. I don't think there's anything out there like that. There's not. I mean, honestly. Yeah. And I think that is a missing piece. And I think, man, families can get more information like this again, bringing that hope and actually feeling like, okay, there is a way here Yeah. versus like, you know, they throw their hands up. There's nothing we can do kind of thing. Yeah. So I love that you're doing that. That's where we hope to have a big impact. Cause my, I always tell people my addiction of many years came to an abrupt halt in a matter of weeks when my family was taught and educated with the tools of what to stop doing and what to start doing. Right. Yeah. But forever they just, you know, kept it their own secret. My dirty secrets that almost killed me ended up becoming their secret. So yeah. they just didn't do anything. They buried their head in the sand. They hoped they could pray it away. Things that we all naturally do out of yeah. love. Right. What I'm hoping to say is, hey, you don't have to get to the point where you see your loved one laying on a cement floor looking like death has already taken them. There's things that you can do to change the course of the outcome now. And there are so many places that are equipped with the people qualified and educated to actually help them navigate through that journey. That's going to be ahead of them. Yeah. But you won't ever have a chance until you get somewhere like that. I love that. So, well, you know, you, I love the way you carry yourself and the way you live your life and what you're doing now. It's really impressive. What, what does a day look like for you? How do you keep this centered, you know, like where you are making sure you're doing the things you need to do for you, also being the husband and the father and all that? How, how are you, you know, I just want our listeners to know what you do to kind of keep your day to where you're doing the things you need to, but feeling good about yourself. So I'm a creature habit. I, I have a routine and I stick to it. Um, I get up. And I work out immediately. Mm-hmm. I have to get my body awake. Yeah, um, that's... <laughs> I married up. I have an incredible spouse around me. <laughs> that helps. Um, yeah. But I try to surround myself with people who have what I want and are who I hope to become. And even though I'm not with them every day, I somehow am in touch with them often. And I, it rubs off on me. But right. um, my day's busy like anybody else. You get up. 
working and doing appointments, making calls, helping people throughout the day in a job, and then coming yeah. home and trying to create that balance, um, being there, being attentive, um, being present with my family, which is something during the decade of running restaurants I was never, Yeah, I was just holding on for dear life. But I, I think ultimately what helps me stay balanced is understanding when you don't feel right, when something feels off, is to talk about it. Yeah. Just even if it seems like it isn't important to somebody else, it's amazing when you allow people around you that opportunity. Yeah. You're almost wrong 10 out of 10 times that they're not going to care. They don't have time for it. <laughs> yeah. People want to help. And when they see someone, you humble themselves, say, hey, I'm just, I don't know. I'm not feeling that good today. Like, I don't know what it is. I just, I had that day today. I had a terrible morning. My kids were insane. They didn't want to go to school. One of those days they hated dad. They just, nothing was yeah. right. And it took me explaining to my wife, I don't feel good. I actually feel sad inside. And then in return, the advice that she gives me um, was just beautiful. It was, yeah. it was heavenly. And I wouldn't have got that had I not opened up and, and asked for help a little bit. Wow. So I think that's one thing that recovery taught me is understanding that it's okay to be vulnerable yeah, and that when you are surrounding yourself with the right people, they will help, you know? Yeah. So I love that. Yeah. Well, very well said. That's beautiful. Um, so I want you to ask, I want to ask you this question. How important is it to help other people and how does that tie into be being in recovery? And how does that support recovery? Yeah. I really started doing this and I saw the passion for it. Like during the time when we were running those restaurants, I, I was never afraid to share my story. And quite often in church, um, I'm a member of the church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints. We meet together while we used to before all this madness. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I would introduce myself and always talk about what I'd been through. Every time I did, even if it was like, hey, guys, if you don't know me, we live down the street in that white house, <laughs> yeah. and I'm a 13-year recovering drug addict. It's kind of scary, right? Once in a while, you get a few people that look at you, and they're kind of like, oh, my gosh, look at that guy. And <laughs> I walk down the hall, and it's like this is pre-COVID, and I walk down the hall, and they'd stand to the other side of the hallway, you know, like make sure they're six feet away right. from me. Um, but for every one of them, there were 10 people who would come to me whether it was in person at my house, knocking on my door, calling me, texting me, sending me mail actually sometimes too. Hey, my, my daughter or my, my husband or somebody, what, what do you think? What, what can I do? Asking just any little questions to help, to start helping them in the right, right direction. Yeah. So to answer your question, every time I did that, it was so fulfilling. Yeah. And every time I did that, I felt like it was a way of thanking my God for his mercy And it beat any paycheck I ever got making food. <laughs> um, and so I just thought, man, we're just all out here being efficient, mortal people running around causing problems. But he can make something beautiful out of wreckage. Yeah. So just to go and help do that a little bit. And I think nowadays, I've, I mean, there was a gentleman on here recently was talking about pornography. Gosh, what, a, what an amazing man. What was his first name? I, Hayden. Hayden. Yes, yeah. Hayden. Thank you. Um, it's so needed. We need a hundred, a thousand more of you. But yeah. um, to be vulnerable and tell people about how you've suffered is inviting for them. Yeah. And those that do it quickly realize that, yeah, there'll be some people who kind of look at you weird or judge you. But there's a whole lot of other people who have just been waiting. Waiting for it. Yeah. Waiting for a chance to feel safe yeah. with someone they can say, hey. I know what that feels like. Yeah. You know? Oh, I love it. So it's very rewarding. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing yeah. that piece of that. So um, I've got a few more questions for you, and I do. I, I could talk to you all day. This is, <laughs> this is amazing stuff. I hope. What, um, so do you think that, I mean, how does your family view you now? I mean, they have to be looking at you going, wow. Especially, you know, 
where they found you laying on that, your dad and your brother, when they saw you laying there, I mean, you had to been this pathetic scene. Yeah. But to see you now, they've, I mean, I imagine your family's pretty blown away by all this. They are. And I think the lessons that we learned as a family because of my struggle at the time is molded us to who we are today. Because yeah. in the last 13 and a half years, <laughs> believe it or not, like our, any other family, there's people who have suffered divorce. Yeah. Um, people that have had suffered serious other mental illness like depression. Yeah. Um, financial stroke, anything that it is. My family, when I went, when they saw me in that pathetic state and what it took to recover, they were also willing to do what those very qualified clinical team advised them to do, which is to get, do their own recovery. And so they learned very quickly this, the importance of not harboring secrets. So my family became healthy through my recovery. And it helped them to understand how to be honest with each other, how to be accountable, how to tell on when they're not feeling right. Yeah. And it's helped all of us navigate through really hard times. Because yeah. if there's anything my family's been through in the last 13 years that I've learned every other family goes through, it's good times and bad times. Yeah, absolutely. Those bad times, instead of derailing us and tearing us apart, we can actually unite and go through it together. So... Right. It's, it's been, it's been a positive experience for all of them. They're all very supportive of what I do. They're all very supportive of, of me. I mean, to the point where they're my biggest fans and yeah, but <laughs> our relationships actually also are so much more real and they're meaningful and the substance that I have, I mean, right. It was a pretty surface level relationship with a lot of people for many years because yeah. I was a cheat, a liar and a thief. But now the relationship I have with my mom, um, some of my siblings that had suffered during my addiction it yeah. is stronger than ever. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Um, so if people want to get to know you better, um, sign up for your courses, um, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So I have a website. It's called yourlivingproof.com. Okay. All one word. So Y-O-U-R livingproof.com. And also... I'm not really good at social media. I've been I'm trying because that's how people connect. But I have an sure. <laughs> Instagram and Facebook page that are the okay. same. Um, Your Living Proof. Okay. But I post videos on there. Um, and on my website, it has courses that families can take. And it is very clear to help them with those aha moments. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's what we're doing. We have to stop that. This is what we need to do. Because again, the goal, I'm not here to cure anyone to help them overcome their addiction. I'm here to say, stop, right? Stop allowing this insanity, right? It's like being on that merry-go-round. It's going around. It's going around so fast, so fast, so fast. You're going to throw up because that's when marriages suffer, right? That's when children build resentments towards mom or dad. Who's consumed right. by this one person. Sure. Stop. Okay. Well, it's easier said than done. So it walks them through. They can watch it in the privacy of their home. They can watch it without having to go and talk to someone and tell them about their dirty laundry to say, oh my gosh, here are the first few steps that we have to take in order to approach our loved one and get them some help. Right. Now, is there a long path after that? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> but that's right. the beautiful part. Sure. I think there's a there's millions of spouses, siblings, or parents out there that if they could just get that person struggling to the front doors of a beautiful place like Wasatch Recovery or any other place, you begin the journey. Yeah. How do we get to that point? What do we do? Yeah. How do we get there? That's what I hope to have an impact in all of this. Yeah. I love it. Well, you've given some amazing advice and some amazing guidance and inspiration. If someone's listening right now to your story and they're struggling and they're in a dark place or a family's listening to this who has a son or a daughter who's in a very, very dark place right now. What what would you want to say right now to them to Gosh. give them some hope? Well, I've already shed too many tears onto this microphone, but that dark place is somewhere where I I lived. I felt it. It consumed me. But to understand 
the opposite of that, to understand what it feels like to be connected with God, to what it feels like to be connected with yourself, to be able yeah. to look in the mirror and, yeah. and see yourself. Right. I think my advice would be no matter how hard this journey is in front of you, it's worth it. Right. Whatever you are not changing in your life, you are choosing. Hmm. So people are like, well, I don't have any choice. I didn't do anything. There's not, if you're not changing it, you're choosing it. And there are things that. that you can do to change the course of your life or this loved one in your, that you care about. Empower yourself with that information. Yeah. I wish I could share it, but we'd be here forever. I know. <laughs> I, I, I made these courses to help people understand that exact thing. What are my choices? How can I change this outcome? How do I just get moving forward? Right. No, I love that. I, I truly, I truly feel like if everyone could understand the beauty that can happen and occur in your life from such a pathetic and terrible circumstance that you might find yourself in, not only do you get to see miraculous things and miracles from God, but you get to be happy. Yeah. You get to be free. And these dark times will be what ultimately mold you into your best self. Right. Love that. So are you going to be a statistic and fall into the, the majority that lose this battle? Or are we going to do something hard to give yourself what I can testify as living proof is yeah, a life you never, ever, ever dreamed of? Yeah. My life today is more beautiful than the life I dreamed of as a young boy before I went to hell and back. Wow. So it is very possible. It will take a lot of work, but the old phrase, it's worth it. It's worth it. Never holds true yeah. more than does in a situation like that. Yeah. Wow, dude, you're amazing, man. Thank you for sharing this with us today. Yeah. No, I'm serious. This is really like, I, I needed to hear this, <laughs> you know, and I, I feel so blessed. I get to hear it firsthand face to face with you. And I know that our listeners are going to truly be blessed because of your story and, and, and in the, the hope that it will come from them listening to this. Yeah. I, I can't hope. thank you enough, Danny. Thanks for having me on. And yeah. anyone out there that's on that brink right there where you're just like, I know I need to do something, but I don't know what to do. Cause I'm scared. Reach out to someone, reach out to me, reach out to anyone that you know yeah. has had a similar experience and just get the courage to take those first few steps. Yeah. Your loved one won't do it for themselves. It's going to require someone intervening. And you know, lastly is telling you, yeah, you know this better than anyone. When addiction sets into someone's life, they all end up in one of three places. Yeah. And all send anyone on this call and this this that's listening on vacation <laughs> yeah. if they prove me wrong but those three places are either they end up in jail institutions or dead yeah but everyone rides that crazy merry-go-round for year after year thinking they're going to be one of those lucky few that just get to exit and live happily ever after without right. doing something drastic yeah that's a great point. something yeah. has to intervene to avoid jail institutions or dead yeah and most of the time it's the person, the people, the structure, the family that loves someone Yeah. stepping in and saying no more. Yeah. No, that's, I'm glad you uh, pointed that out here. Well, I, I can't thank you enough. Like I said, uh, your website is yourlivingproof.com. Yes. And we were talking before that if uh, you're, they can sign up for your courses on there. And if they type in the promotion code, is it yes, Beliefcast? Yes, Beliefcast, please. We put a big discount in there for everyone on this podcast. I This is one of my favorite platforms. I'm always inspired. And so anyone listening there, Beliefcast, all one word, and yeah. it'll give you guys a discount on checking out. Right on. That's awesome. Thanks for doing that. Yeah. Yeah, very that's welcome. so cool. Well, there you go, folks. I told you this was going to be amazing. Um, I hope that you will share this with someone you know who's struggling or if anything, it gives you enough courage to to reach out and say something yeah, and please. do something different. Keep, you know, don't hold the secret anymore. Yeah. I love that too, you know. You'll stay sick as long as you yeah. hold that inside. Yeah. So thank you so much, listeners. I love you guys. I hope you know that. I'm so grateful for 
the support and the followers and the comments that I receive, it just blows my mind. And it's not because of me. It's because I have amazing guests like Danny on. And, you know, I think this is like the 146th episode. Wow. And it just blows my mind that this is where we're at. And, wow. uh, you know, you're on a long list of amazing people and just... I wish you the best. I will do whatever I can to help support your cause. Thank you. I'll send people your way. You know, the list goes on and on. And I, I just hope we can keep continue rubbing shoulders together and, and working together and helping people overcome this craziness. I feel the same. Yep. Thank you, Todd. Yeah, you betcha. Okay, guys. Thank you so much. Love you. Until next time. Thanks, Danny. Thank you.